Bible and, and uh, get, get to 1 Corinthians 10 in your view, and then we'll be in chapter 11 in just a few moments. Normally, as I said, we uh, observe the Lord's Supper, or call it communion, or Lord's Supper, or Lord's Table, it all means the same thing. But uh, we normally take care of that on Sunday nights. It's, it's uh, just easier to fit into the schedule. We take a little bit more time with it, and uh, we, uh, it just makes it it's just more convenient, I guess. But at, at least once a year, we're getting to the end of the year, and I thought, you know, there's, there's so many folks that for, for various reasons are not able to be here in the evening service, and it would be nice to do it in the morning service, and take an opportunity as well, uh, and to really just spend some time explaining it and looking at it, uh, through the uh, through the lens of First uh, Corinthians, and so we will we will do that this morning. The the uh, observance of the Lord's Supper or the communion. Let me just take a survey real quick. How many of you uh, grew up calling it the Lord's Supper? Would you raise your hand? All right. And then how many of you uh, grew up knowing it as the Lord's Table? Anybody like that? It's a little bit more rare. All right, anybody, and then a communion, folks. Okay, so that's the that's the majority. It all means the same thing, uh, but uh, as I said, we're and, and so I'll probably use those te- those terms interchangeably uh, throughout the throughout the message. This observance uh, began; it has its roots in the Passover dinner. Uh, Matthew uh, twenty six uh, talks about that, and we'll we'll look at a few verses in a little bit later on from that. Uh, and, and, it, and it has its, its, uh, its beginnings uh, from the Passover dinner. And Matthew 26 tells us of the first time that the Lord's Supper or communion was, uh, was observed. Jesus uh, did it himself. He's with his disciples. They were celebrating the customary Passover feast that had been observed for uh, centuries. Since the book of Exodus, Jews have, have gathered once a year on, a, on the same night every year, and they break bread. They might cook a lamb. There's a very extravagant, uh, or, or, or just a, a lot of different things going on. As I was read some things um, uh, about the Passover feast this week, I, I thought uh, it sounds a lot like our, our Thanksgiving, that uh, just, a, just a very elaborate table. And the beginnings of it started off with uh, very small uh, elements, just a, a lamb and, and bread and wine, and, and it has... Uh, developed over over time, the Jews had uh, just made it a big a big night. But on this night, Jesus uh, is doing something with his disciples. <coughs> excuse me, that he has uh, done all his life, and the disciples have done all their lives. And it's and it's a big night. It's the one big night of the year where they remember how God rescued them from Egypt and how God brought freedom to His people and saved them. But on this night, Jesus knew his death was near and he was repurposing the Passover, if you will, or at least revealing its original purpose for the Passover dinner. And today, what we celebrate as communion or as the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table, we find uh, very closely related to this early Passover tradition. And we get to 1 Corinthians 10, and this is the, the probably the most um, abundant teaching of the of the of the communion that uh, we get from Paul understanding it Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and trying to explain some big issues that they had uh, in this church namely some divisive issues some problems with uh, sin and discipline within that within that um, body of believers and Paul begins to talk to them in verse number 
uh, 16 there as we read about the Lord's table. Uh, and talking about this, this idea, this communion that they were so uh, supposedly observing. And he says, you're not doing it uh, in the right way. And so uh, we're going to take Paul's passages here in, in uh, these two chapters and, and his teaching to the Corinthian church and try to understand a little bit better uh, what it is that we are doing every time we come to the table. Explaining, uh, understanding the purpose of, of uh, and the meaning behind it. Uh, understanding why we come, what we're doing when we come, and why we even do it at all. Uh, earlier this year, I, I heard a message, a very a, a wonderful message, uh, by uh, a preacher, Sinclair Ferguson, and he wrote and he preached entirely out of this passage. And many of the the uh, the, the points or the the main words that we'll use here uh, come from his his um, his message there. But he made a statement in that in that sermon that, that caught me. I've written it down. I've, I've, I've remembered it, and I, I, uh, I like what he said. In, in regards to the Lord's Supper, he says, you don't get any different Christ in the Lord's Supper than in the preaching of the Word. You do not get any better Christ in the Lord's Supper than in the preaching of the Word. But you may get the same Christ better. As we come to the table many, many years for many centuries, people have misunderstood the point of communion, the point of the Lord's Supper as, as some way to connect to God and to uh, maintain or to obtain salvation. And what that statement is saying there is you don't get Jesus any better by taking these elements, uh, you, but you may get a better understanding. That same Christ uh, that is preached in the Word, that is remembered through the communion, uh, we understand it more fully as we dive into the Word and as we try to understand it. And that is my hope uh, that, that we today will take some of these, uh, maybe something that has been forgotten, maybe something that just needs to be put back into the forefront of our minds, or maybe something that we had not realized at all as we, uh, as we uh, partake. We look in uh, verse 16 and, and we see the first thing that the Lord's Supper is. It is a participation and it is explained there in verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? We see that word communion, and we right away where our thoughts probably come to uh, the observance that uh, we will celebrate in just a few moments. Uh, it's the same word that uh, means fellowship. Uh, it's the word that, uh, if you don't know much Greek, you probably recognize the word koinonia. That's where it comes from. This is, this is uh, what Paul is explaining there. But what Paul is trying to get them to understand here is that as we uh, come to the table, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are uh, in fellowship with, he says, the body and the blood of Christ. But notice what happens as he explains his, his, uh, his thought here, verse 17. For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. This speaking of Jesus. We go down to verse number 19. He says, what shall I say then? Is that the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the, the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship. There it is, that word koinonia again uh, with devils. Communion there. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. And so what we see here, uh, firstly, that the Lord's Supper is a participation or a communion 
in the body and blood of Christ. It is a fellowship with Christ as a part of his body. Fellowship is a lot more than what we, especially we Baptists, like to think it is. Most of the time, if you were to ask a person, what is fellowship? If they go to a Baptist church, it includes pie and coffee and uh, or some form of dessert. We think of fellowship as we must have food. And it's not wrong, but it's not complete. Um, and fellowship is not just getting together with friends and chit-chatting and having a talk. Fellowship is something deeper. It's something more uh, important than simply getting together with friends, talking and eating together. As Paul explains here in the participation of the cup and of the bread, we are actually participating in the blood and the body of Christ. It is an association. It is an identification of uh, with Christ and with Christ's church. Now, when I take the communion, I am not receiving the body and the blood of Christ. I don't, I don't believe that, that uh, it, it turns itself into the body and the blood of Christ, and it's not what the Bible teaches. But at communion, I testify that I have received Christ already, and I have been received by Him. The bread and the cup that we receive are nothing special. It's just, uh, it's just a little cracker. It's just a little juice in a cup. It's, it's nothing on its own very special, but what it symbolizes and the, the, uh, the point for which we use it is very important. It is an association with the message of the elements. The bread, uh, the, 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 just like the food that he, he talks about that is offered to idols. In this day and time, they had a problem with uh, these, these pagan temples would uh, sacrifice these animals to their false gods. And then, uh, since the god didn't eat it, they would sell it to people. It was a meat market. It was a church slash meat market. And talk about combining two different uh, businesses. You have house of worship and a, and a deli. And that's essentially what they had. And so they would take these these animals that had been butchered and, and slaughtered and sacrificed up to God, who is a false god, just some idol that stood there. And then they say, well, now we can sell this meat to people. And Paul talks about this in some other passages. And he said, listen, the meat is not unholy simply because it was offered up to an idol. It doesn't become special, tainted meat. Uh, the believers that would come to that temple and buy that meat thought that by, by eating the meat, they had communion with that God. But Paul says it's not. It's because it, the God's not even real. It's just, it's just a statue. And the meat is just meat. But what he has explained several times there, he says there in verse number um, Verse number 19 there, he says that the idol is not anything and that which is offered to sacrifice is not anything. But he says, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice the devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. He said, listen, the meat is nothing. Don't don't get confused that by eating that piece of meat, you are going to have some fellowship uh, by eating some unholy thing. But he says, in doing so, there in, in, uh, in that procedure, in that custom, you are associating yourself with the message and the meaning behind that practice. Very much like we come and we eat uh, the, 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 little, the little cracker that is passed. Uh, there's, that's not the body of Christ. It's not a special holy bread that we bought. Uh, it was, it's just bread. It's just, a, it's just a little cracker. But when, as we partake, we are 
associating ourselves or identifying ourselves with the meaning behind it. If you eat it at home, it doesn't mean that you ate the holy bread at home. It's just you had a sandwich. If you eat it here, in this context, you are associating yourself with the, the message and the meaning behind it. And that's what, that's what Paul is trying to explain to them. And he says here that the problem is if you, ha- if you partake in both, uh, you cannot have fellowship with both God and a demon or God and an idol. Now, the, the Lord's table, what he's trying to explain here is that the Lord's table is not for those still deciding between Jesus and another person or another God. It's not for people to come and say, well, you know, I'm trying out this Christianity thing, trying to see if it's going to work for me, and so I'll just try, uh, I'll, I'll do the communion because that will help me to understand it. Paul says that's not what it's for. Uh, that's, that's not the, the purpose behind it. Uh, it's not for those who want to choose Christ. It's not for those still trying to decide if God is God. And it's not for those who say, I want to be a Christian. I am coming to the Lord's table. It's not for those types of people. It is for those, as I said, who have already received and been received by Him. It is for those who have already associated themselves with Christ. And he says, because we are in Christ, we have a fellowship or we have an association with him and with each other. And therefore, we come together and celebrate communion. But he says this is also for other people around. Now, you know this. If, I, if Paul says if you go to the meat market or he says if you go and sit down at someone's, at someone's house and they put meat in front of you, don't ask any questions. Just eat it. But he says if they say this was offered to me uh, to an idol. He says, don't eat it for conscience sake. It's not for your conscience because you know the scriptures and you know that it's not real. Uh, it's, 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 it's all spooky, hocus pocus stuff. But he said, for the conscience of the person that said it before you or for the conscience of the person that is sitting beside you and thought, he's going to eat that. It was offered to idols. He has a participation. He has a fellowship. He has communion with idols. And Paul says, no, it's just a steak and it's delicious. But he said, if there are people around who believe that there is a hidden meaning and message behind it, I don't eat it. Now, Paul was not a vegetarian. Paul was not a vegan. Paul said, though, for the sake of the other people around, I do not eat this meat because it, it implies an association with another God. Uh, this, and this is for the sake of those around you. If they see you knowingly participate in the ceremony, they assume that there is a relationship established there. Now, that can go a couple of ways. Uh, to participate in food and, uh, and drink that has been offered to idols is, is to send a message of alignment with that. But when we participate with the Lord's table, we do it in a group to show our alignment with Christ. And so as we sit at the table, and we're not sitting around a big table, as we come to the table, as we celebrate, you are not consuming the body and the blood of Christ, but you are associating publicly that I am one of His. I am not going to be one of his. I am not thinking about this. I'm not trying it out. I'm not covering all of my bases to make sure if I do all of them, one of them's got to work. This is for the people that have already said, uh, I choose Christ. Christ has chosen me. We are. Uh, we already have fellowship. And here now is my uh, identification, my public. Ide- That's one of the reasons we don't do it at home. One of the reasons that it's not scriptural to just grab a uh, grab some uh, some juice out of the fridge and, and pick up some crackers from from the dollar store and uh, uh, do do uh, do the communion on your own home because it's not for, it's not a private thing. 
It's a public identification and a public association with Christ and with his church. We don't participate in order to align with Christ, but we show that we are already aligned with him. That is a participation. Number two, we go over to chapter 11 and we see the second thing. It is a commemoration. It is a commemoration. Verse 23 of chapter 11, Paul begins his uh, the main passage, I would say, at least the most familiar one to many people uh, concerning the Lord's Supper. And he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. This is a commemoration. As I said, he is referring back to the night when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his uh, with his disciples. This was a, a, a common Jewish tradition, the night that Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper for the first time. There were Jews all throughout uh, the, the, the region celebrating the Passover dinner in their own houses and with their own uh, lamb and bread and things like that. Now, a very interesting, if you study out, if you understand, if you've ever, if you've ever read uh, uh, the, the Feast of the Lord, it's a very interesting book about the, uh, the symbolism behind the different elements at the Passover table. And he even makes uh, connections to uh, to, to, to Christianity and, and how that uh, it very much ties in. But at a Passover table, there were several elements uh, involved, and it was a long, it was a long feast. And uh, what, uh, what Jesus uh, took as uh, reclaimed, as, if you will, for the Lord's Supper was the second part or the last part of this Passover feast. Uh, included in this feast were uh, three loaves of bread that they would hide in a napkin, uh, there were four different cups, actually. They had four uh, big goblets, if you will, of, of wine, and, and they would eat a drink from them at different times. And there was a lamb. The lamb was the focal point of the whole feast. It was the big deal. We go all the way back to the very first time that there was the actual event of Passover. All of these feasts are, are remembering the actual event of Passover. You remember Israel was bondage in Egypt, and God said to Moses, who said to the people, he says, I want you to take this lamb, and I want you to set it aside, and it has to be a spotless lamb, and you're going to observe it, and all these things, uh, and you're going to you're going to kill the lamb on this day, you're going to kill it a certain way, and you're going to take the blood, and you're going to paint the, the doorposts of your house with the blood of the lamb, and then you're going to go inside, and you're going to eat this special meal a certain way, and, and dressed a certain way, and all these things. And, and it all had a meaning to them uh, nationally that God brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery. They found salvation through this Passover lamb. Well, over time, the lamb uh, was no longer uh, a... a an actual element that was used, and they would begin to use this bread. Uh, and and the, the Jewish tradition uh, is that the bread that they took was the uh, was a reminder of the Passover lamb. We won't get into all of those, uh, the Passover, uh, different things of there, but uh, th- this was a, a piece of bread that was broken up and distributed uh, and to everybody at the table and then eaten. And then there was this, this, uh, this cup of, of wine here, or juice, whatever, and it was the, it was, remember I said there was four of them. This is the third one that Jesus takes. I want to read it to you. It's Matthew 26, if you want to go over there and uh, follow along with me. It's Matthew 26 and verse, I believe it's verse 16 or maybe it's verse 26. It is verse 26. 
Matthew 26, 26. Jesus has eaten his, uh, if you can read about it in, in several of the gospel accounts, Jesus has eaten the Passover meal with his, with his disciples. Judas has gone out to betray uh, him. And it says here in verse number uh, 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. Now, this is the first time that he had ever deviated from the traditional Passover feast. And now he's saying, this bread that you've always taken, that, that if you're very used to doing, he was the leader of the group, and so it would have been his job to, do, to kind of uh, lead through this observance. Now he throws in this new element, if you will, at least in the disciples' minds. This is my body, which is, uh, he says there, uh, verse number 27, and he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and said, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins. And Jesus used these two elements to remind us of his sacrifice for our sins. And so in celebrating or in participating in the communion, in the uh, Lord's Supper, we are remembering Christ. I mean, we we etch it on the Lord's Supper table. We we usually include it somewhere in the observance. And we say, uh, we repeat his words, do this in remembrance of me. It's a memorial of me or a commemoration of me of what Jesus did. Now, in the Passover, I said the focal point was the Lamb. In our Lord's Supper, the focal point is the Lamb of God. I think it's quite uh, appropriate how the bread in the Passover feast was a remembrance of a Passover lamb, just as the bread which we break is a remembrance of a Passover lamb. Uh, we, We remember our lamb slain for our salvation. And the bread and the cup are something visible that remind us to look to Christ. Much like in the, in the Old Testament, if you remember that story when uh, God sent the serpents into the nation of Israel to punish them for some sin. And, uh, and Moses went to God and said, what do I do? How do I do this? And he says, I want you to take a brazen serpent. I want you to make a serpent out of brass. And I want you to stick it on a pole. I want you to stick it in the ground. I want you to uh, uh, hold it up for everyone to see. And he says, anybody that looks to the the, the, the serpent on the, on the pole will live. And it's, it's this look and live looking to the serpent. And Jesus said later on, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he said, when you look to Christ, you will be saved. But if you try to do it other ways, if you look in other directions, you won't find the salvation which you need. And he said here, uh, this is the remembrance of looking to Christ. It's the reminder that it is in Christ only we have our salvation. And Jesus was saying, well, as we take the communion, instead of looking within yourself and say, how can I remember Christ? He says, I want to give you two elements that will help you to focus and visualize on me. This whole, this whole point of doing it is not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Christ. We see number three, it's a repetition. I like this in verse 25. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. That little phrase is often as you eat this bread. I always, I always wondered what, what the point was that, that was. And we, we use that to explain that there is no set time and what you're supposed to, you know, how often you have to do this. But I thought about this. This thought dawned on me, and maybe for many of you, you've already thought about this. But because it's so connected uh, so tightly to the Passover dinner, the Passover dinner could only be celebrated once a year. If you really love Passover, you had to wait a whole year to do it. 
uh, you always celebrated Passover on the same day every year. But now Jesus says, as often as you do it, or Paul says through Christ, as often as you do this, you can remember me. It's a, it, we, are, we are free, if you will, to celebrate and to remember him whenever and how often we choose. Here, we do it about once a month. Uh, some places might do it once a week. Some people do it once a quarter or even once a year. And there is no uh, mandate that tells us how often we should do it. But he says we should do it. And we are free to do it as often as we choose. It's not so elaborate that it can't be repeated. But it's not so predetermined that we're locked into a time. And, oh, we got to do this again. Personally, I like to do it just often enough that it doesn't get old hat. Because I don't want it to be where I'm just coming and doing a repetition, a routine. And since we do it once a month here, I, I'm, I want to even, uh, without changing what we're doing, uh, maybe make it a, a feel a little bit different or, or pull something new out because I don't want this to become routine. I don't want this to become old hat. We do it, we take the bread, we drink the cup, we move on to the next thing. Uh, because it can become like that if we're not careful. And this is important. This is a remembrance of my, of my Jesus who gave his body for me and gave his blood for me. And I don't ever want to make that whatever. There's a, you know, they say the statement, you know, Christmas comes once a year. If we celebrated Christmas every day of the year, it wouldn't be as special anymore. And so I want to find a balance in between. Uh, I don't want to do it so often that I, that I, that I make it, that I make it uh, uh, just an old hat. It's just a routine. But at the same time, I don't want to wait so long. I want to celebrate. I want to remember what Christ did for us. And, and he gives us this freedom here to celebrate as often as we do. I like this. Number, verse number 26, the next one here. It is a proclamation or a declaration. It, is, it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. You proclaim it. You declare it. You, you, you proclaim it to those around you. Uh, as, we, as we pass a plate, we are literally saying to one another, this is the gospel. Not this bread and this cup. But as we, as we uh, just in a few moments, the, the deacons will come and they will help to distribute it normally. We would, uh, the deacons would pass it to you, but because there's so many different people, uh, it's going to happen that you're going to get the plate and probably have to pass it on the other. And as you do that, you are saying, this is the gospel. This is the body and the blood of Christ. This is Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. He is salvation. I have received this. This is the gospel. And that's what he's saying. You proclaim the Lord's death as we celebrate. We, we literally Remind ourselves and everybody around us, Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for my sins. He paid the price for my sins. We symbolize even as how we receive the cup and the bread. We symbolize how we receive salvation. Jesus said in John 6.51, maybe one of the most controversial messages uh, of Jesus uh, at the time of his, uh, during his ministry, in John 6.51, he was speaking to some people and he, and he was talking about uh, the bread and he said in verse 50, 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how could this man give us his flesh to eat? He said, what are you talking about? Eat you? Eat your flesh? He said there, 
Uh, and then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. And they were like, what are you? He's talking about cannibalism. What is he talking about? This is crazy. And, but what Jesus is, is, is trying to teach them is the way that we, we, we are saved is to receive it. You don't go out and do something that's been done. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sacrifice. And these people did not understand that his body and his blood would be given for the sins of, the, for the sins of, of, of sinners, for the people who needed him. And they're saying, we don't, we don't need, uh, we don't need this, this weird teaching of cannibalistic uh, religion. Jesus says, unless you have received me, you have no, you have no salvation. So John 1.12, Jesus said, uh, John, I think it's John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. As we come, we are not literally receiving the body and blood of Christ, but we are commemorating we have received Christ. It's an anticipation next. He says at the end of the verse, we do show the Lord's death until He comes. I like that. Because one who died should not be expected to do anything. Right? If you've ever had a loved one pass away, you don't expect anything out of that person anymore. If uh, Aunt, Aunt Flo passed away five years ago, you're not expecting a birthday gift from Aunt Flo anymore. You don't expect anything out of her. But what Jesus is saying, or what Paul is saying through, uh, to the Corinthian church and to us today, is that when you celebrate the Lord's death, you are expecting Christ to return. Not only is He the Christ who died, He is the Christ who is coming back. And as we celebrate this morning and every time we partake, we are anticipating not only that Jesus died, but that he is coming back again. That means that something must have happened in between the dying and coming back, and that is that he rose again. He still lives. And we do not remember a dead Savior. We remember a risen and alive Savior, and not just one who is alive, but one who is coming back. And he said that, uh, Jesus said in, in, his, in his feast with the disciples, he says, I will not drink of this cup again until I drink new with you uh, with my Father. And he's speaking of that, that, that glorious celebration that we will have in heaven with him. And he says, I won't drink. It's the, it was the fourth cup. It was the, it was the, it was the, the last cup. And it was a, it was a, a cup of, of celebration. And he says, I'm going to wait because the most important thing is coming and it's not happened yet. And I'm waiting until that point, that moment to drink it with you. And, and it is an, this is an anticipation. And as we meet at the table together, we remember not only that Jesus died and rose again, but that He's coming back for us one day. One mentioned one time uh, that this is not a full meal because the, big, the, the main meal is coming later. And that this is simply a taste of what is coming. You see, lastly, because of all of these things, it is a self-examination. You get down to verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that drinketh and eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. He's saying here this, this idea of eating unworthily. It's not that we are ever worthy 
of Christ. There is nothing within me that made me worthy to be saved, to be one of His. A great song is titled Unworthy, but in there it says He made me worthy. The fact that He He paid such a high price for me, He made me worthy. But I'm not worthy on my own. But He says that if we eat this unworthily or if we eat this in an unworthy fashion, if we pull it all together and we understand what was going on specifically in this church, this church practiced some weird customs. One of the things that they would do is they would isolate the rich people and the middle class people and the poor people, even in the Lord's Supper. The, the rich folks would come and they would do the Lord's Supper on their own and then the middle class would come and they'd do, and then the poor people would come and they got what was left over. And, and you know, that, that, that's, that's how they, they did it and, and there was no unity there. And Paul is saying, that's not the Lord's table. You are one in Christ. You are one uh, in His body and therefore there must be unity as we come to the table. But he's talking about here is very basically who do not take it seriously or properly as Christ intended. Even to the extreme that he says many are weak and many sleep. Many, many, many have, have perished because they came to the table improperly. And this is a response for us each to examine. That's what it means to let a man examine himself, to test, to look at himself, to regard himself. And he says, and in this way, or so eat in this way. In what way? In a way of examination. And, and as I'm participating, I am examining myself and testing myself. What am I testing? Well, first of all, I'm, he says that as I do this, I'm proclaiming Christ's death. And I'm proclaim and I'm anticipating his return. So as I take it, I wonder if I'm if I'm if I'm anticipating that return. I'm saying I am by taking it, but I ask myself, am I living in a way that is anticipating the return of Christ? We all know Jesus is coming back, but most of us don't live like he's coming back. He's going to come back one day, but probably not today. He's going to come back one day, but it won't be tomorrow. So I'm going to do what I want tomorrow. In fact, I can always get forgiveness, right? He's saying, no, it's going to come back. I anticipate it. You remember when you were in school and the teacher left the classroom? Either you were a kid that did what the teacher said, or you were a kid who completely ignored what the teacher said. And you started throwing stuff, you started talking, you started getting up out of your chair. And there's usually a lookout, right? There's usually someone by the door watching out for the teacher. There, you're, you know the teacher's coming back at any moment. Now, if you've ever done that, and the teacher has come back in, if you were the kid that sat there, or the kid that got back to your desk fast enough, you were glad that the teacher found you doing what you were supposed to be doing. But, if you were like me at times, you were caught not doing what you were supposed to do. You were not anticipating, well, I knew you were going to come back, teacher, but not that soon. The fact is that the teacher's coming back. Our Lord is coming back, and as I take these elements, it's a reminder to myself, He died for me. But not only did He die for me, He's coming back for me. And I need to remember that as I live, not just as I live through this moment, but as I live through every moment, He is coming back. There is, a, there is a, a, an idea of self-examination, much like a, much like a, a bride would, would uh, make herself uh, beautiful uh, for her husband, not that she has to uh, be good enough for him, but because she wants everything to be perfect for him. 
And as the guys, we don't have a lot to do to make ourselves beautiful. I mean, you can only do so much. And, but, you know, we at least make sure our hair is combed. And we make sure that our, our, you know, our tie is straight. The girls, they have a lot more that they can do to make themselves pretty. And the end result is a whole lot better than the end result of a guy. But uh, we, we, we do that not in order to be worthy, because if I don't look good enough, they're not going to marry me. No. We do it because, I want, because I, I, I want to be the best that I can be for them. Because they deserve my best. And that is, that is what we, we, we come to Christ with. But also, it is an association there, as I said, an identification with Christ and His church. As I mentioned, this Corinthian church was full of division and strife. And then as they sit down at the table and they take the Lord's Supper and they say, we are one in Christ and one with each other. And, and the truth is they weren't. Paul is saying, as you take this, think about what's going on within the church. You're not, you're not eating it with respect to its meaning and its message. Celebrating communion properly, though, promotes unity within the body of Christ. As we remind ourselves that we are all one. There is no special seating. There is no special tiers of membership because of money and status. They're all one. As we celebrate, we celebrate that, that unity in the communion. So as we come to the table, let us be aware of what we're doing. We're remembering Christ. We're proclaiming His gospel. We're anticipating His return. Let us remember why we do it publicly align ourselves, publicly re-identify with Christ and His church. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we do thank You for this little way to observe and to remember. I'm so glad that there's, there's a way that we can remember You. You didn't give us a picture. You didn't give us a a video of yourself, you gave us a little ceremony that we can do and remember not just you, but what you did. And who you are to us. Lord, I pray that you would be at the focal point in our minds. Be at the front of our minds. Not just in these moments, but every day. But may these moments that we have together as we observe May it be a reset button to just re- realign us if we have sh- if we've strayed, re recalibrate uh, us if uh, we have gotten off a little bit. May we live lives that are in fellowship with one another and with you. And we thank you for these moments that we have together to really celebrate that we have something special. And it's not of anything of ours. We have the same Heavenly Father. We have a great God who has gone to great extents to make us your own. You brought us back in our dirtiest, in our filthiest condition. You made us worthy became like us and lived with us and then died for us and now you live for us. Father, we anticipate your return. We want your kingdom to be established. We we are grown within these bodies of sin. The Spirit of God lives within us and and convicts us and 
and teaches us and shapes us and grows us and matures us, but then at the same time we, we struggle because the flesh is still there. It still, it still leads us out. It still causes us to stray. We anticipate that moment when you come and you make all things new. You remove the sin. We can perfectly once again worship you, live to glorify you, no more distraction, no more suffering, no more hurting, no more sin. Until that moment, we thank you for these little moments that we have when we can push everything out aside of our minds, and of our world, and make it all about you. Please be honored with our times today and our rest of our week as we try to live out as you would through this week. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who does not know you as Savior, they know you as a character in the Bible, they know you maybe as the God who created everything, but they've never come to the, the understanding of who you are as, as the Lord and Savior. I pray that this would be this would be the day that they would understand. They, they would they would see their need for you. Lord, that they would become born again. Father, I pray that you